nobody who looks like you introduced me to race in a positive way. I never read authors of color. I never learned anything substantive about people of color throughout education. I didn't learn the truth about American history. I didn't, you know, so these barriers started as early as I can remember. So, I mean, how, how far, how far can we go? Race touches literally every part of our lives and your systems don't include that. They weren't built by us. All right, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of the Lenses Podcast. And today I'm super excited to be introducing everyone to Brittany Lovely. Um, and Brittany, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, of today. course. Thank you for having yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, this is our first in person meeting. I love it this way because it's like, <laughs> you know, I don't have to pretend like I'm interested in you for the audience, right? Like, right. I genuinely am like super interested in this conversation um, and learning as much as, as everybody else is at the same time. Um, and so, you know, a couple of the, the things that, you know, that, that we, touched on you know leading up to this is just the the lenses that you see through and the lenses that uh, that you've identified are that you are a multiracial female um and you are uh, formerly incarcerated so we'll we'll touch on that i mean i i'm at that's a lens that i i haven't seen through so that's that's interesting to me it, you know awesome. actually <laughs> before we go any further with that too there's, I told you that we'd be very much just kind of just flowing with this, right? Yeah, just go. We're <laughs> so, going off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was thinking as I was, as I was looking at your lenses that something that I haven't talked about before in this podcast, but I was like, this is, this is this right now is that we have inherited lenses and then we have accumulated lenses, right? Right. right. Um, and, and I, I hadn't really thought about that so much before, um, but we're, we're, you're my first guest where we're really talking about accumulated lenses as opposed to your inherited lenses. So oh, congratulations. Awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to break that um, barrier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then you were raised in a, in a rural predominantly white community. Um, yes. and I'm assuming that's in the Seattle area or like the South, the sound area or something like that. No, Southwest Washington, Kellett's okay. County. Yeah. Kelso Got area. It. Got it. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> And then um, that uh, um, that you're educated and that you're also trauma informed, mm -hmm. and I definitely want to be touching on that too. Um, so uh, at that's this also point, that's an accumulated lens. Yeah, what, when yeah, that absolutely. stuff happens, you have no idea that it's going to affect how you view the world. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, sometimes drastically. Yes, um, definitely. Yeah. So uh, what I'm what I'm very interested in is just you know how do you it how do you put together this, this string of lenses in your life? Right. So, and like we said, there's some of them that you're, you're born into that you're inherited into. Right. And then, and then some that are accumulated. And so, you know, you know, we just kind of touched on it briefly before we started recording, but it's, it's your story that, that talks about the accumulated lenses. Right. Right. Um, and I just love to hear your story right now. So how, how do you become you? And then, and then we'll just go from there. We'll just start riffing from there. All right. Sounds good. Um, <laughs> I guess we should start in the beginning, right? So I think the rural, the rural community is definitely, um, 
that has played a large factor in who I am. Um, because I'm multiracial, I was, mm. I didn't fit in, in my community here. Um, I think I was like one of three or four people of color yeah. in my elementary school. Um, I looked different than everyone yeah. else. Yeah. I had wild and crazy curly hair. Um, yeah. Cause most rural communities are white communities. Oh yes, it is. Yeah. It was very white. Um, yeah. there wasn't even anywhere. And I grew up with the white side of my family. So I should say that my, the, um, my racial background is my father's African-American. My mother is Hawaiian, Japanese, and German. Um, mm. but I identify mostly with my African-American roots because, mm. um, that was the assigned identity for me from my white peers. Okay. So, um, you were different for a reason and it wasn't because you had some German in you. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I was, I right. was assigned to this identity because of my hair, my lips, the color of my skin. Um, yeah. so that's where I began to identify very early. Um, people saw me as black, so that's who I became. Right. Yeah. Getting okay. to know the other roots and stuff wasn't really, I, I guess it wasn't something that I thought about as a child. Um, it yeah. was just, you try to fit into the box you're supposed to. Right. right. Um, so big hair, big lips, <laughs> brown yeah. skin. That was how people saw me and saw me as different. They pointed out the differences, which is how I became aware of them. Um, my family, I grew up with the white side of my family. They didn't really um, pay a ton of attention to that, nor did they understand the impacts that it might have, which has come out recently with all the issues in, the, um, in our society now okay. going on with the Black Lives okay. Matter movement and all of that. Um, so the conversations have really begun in my family, so, which is so, really cool. So your family, I mean, you know, and I don't, I don't know, you know, about the family dynamic, but... You know, I, I was just having another conversation with somebody else who who has a, a biracial daughter. Mm -hmm. And she said, like, she thought it was like her crowning achievement that that she was colorblind. Right. right. And then, right. you know, and so that that she didn't hold her daughter being half black against her. Right. <laughs> kind of thing. Right. right. Is that similar in your in your family or when you talk about not really focusing on that, that it was more just about a, you know, no, no, you're one of us kind of thing or, or it wasn't even it wasn't even that it was um I think my mom had no idea how it would affect me in society mm. or how I mean if you don't know you don't know so sure. like if she didn't yeah. know how that might impact it wasn't me one of her lenses impact, right it wasn't one of her lenses yeah. so she couldn't even look through that to see for me you know right or to prepare me for that I think my sister had a different experience my older sister um, she actually went to the high school that I eventually graduated from. So she heard mm. all the racist jokes and stuff from kids. And like, mm. there was a lot of racism in the community, not so much like from institutions, like openly, you know, but definitely within the community, there was a lot of racist beliefs, um, mm. still are, they're strong. And so she would come home and I guess her, her idea of how to prepare me was to open that door. Like, this is what people say. This is what, like, here's the jokes. Here's how this all yeah, works, okay. you know, so that I yeah. would, 
I guess, be hardened to it by the time I got there. Mm. Um, but the microaggressions and the open racism started early. I think mm. the first encounter that I remember was like first grade music class. Mm. So, I mean, it starts so how, early. How so? Start yeah. Um, I mean, it, I first grade, uh, was made fun of for my hair, definitely. And that was also okay. the first time I had ever encountered the N word. So I don't, and my peers, you know, like, how are you mm. in first grade and know this word? I was not aware of it or familiar, yeah. you know, okay. so being introduced to all of that, um, that early is it definitely, uh, impacts the way you see the world and how you interact mm. with people and how you see yourself. Yeah. Um, so the things that went into my identity or building my identity based off of others' expectations were like the type of music I could listen to. Um, I was mm. supposed to listen to rap. I was supposed to listen to hip hop, not country, not anything that anyone else, you know what I mean? Like right. this, these are popular things in rural white communities. Yeah. <laughs> so like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not supposed to be participating in that. <laughs> right. I'm supposed to be tough. Um, so if people are rude, we fight. You know what I mean? Like these are the kinds of things that come along with people's expectations of black people, which are still stereotypes that people are fighting, you know, yeah. the, so you as a person, do, do you, did you live into some of those stereotypes oh, or, yeah. or did you fight them? No, I definitely lived into them. These were okay. the expectations. I didn't, um, one of my things like now I truly believe representation matters I didn't have anybody who looked like me to look up to as a role mm. model that was near me. You know, like there Got was it. no professionals who were African-American. There were no, I mean, my dad wasn't in the picture. Um, his side mm. of the family did stay in contact with me and I do have a great relationship with them today. Um, yeah. But growing up, it was uh, spotty with him in and out of the yeah. picture. So, yeah. So my role models that looked like me near near me were non-existent <laughs> so yeah. I really leaned into those um which I didn't realize until later becoming educated and doing a lot of my own research through like racial identity and all of that so so and maybe I'm jumping ahead here no, but ahead. <laughs> you know when you when you you know mentioned formerly incarcerated mm -hmm. Is that part of you living into the stereotypes then? Like you said, you know, you fight, you, you know, you, you listen to the, you know, the, the bad rap music, you mm -hmm. listen to all, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is that part of, of that journey too, or is that a separate? I would definitely event? say that that's a significant factor. Um, yeah, definitely that. And then a lot of trauma and, mm. um, yeah, the expectations, definitely. So I was exposed to addiction early on, uh, struggled with that. My identity was definitely hardened. Um, <laughs> I, I was angry. I was loud. I was, I mean, I definitely lived into those expectations. Mm. And not just the expectations, but the way I was treated mm. as being different um, definitely impacted that. But as far as and, like, no, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and it is that like, like you talk about, you know, first grade music class was when, you know, the, the microaggressions, like you really noticed them, you know, for the first time. Mm -hmm. So it, 
when when you're talking about being hardened and and moving down that track, how early on does does that part of your life begin? Like, um, I mean, was it was it early early on, or are we talking? You know, we're in junior high, high school now. What are, what are we? What frame of your of your life are we talking about at this point? Um, I would say, I mean, the anger and the rather than forced into being an outcast, the ch- the chosen path was being outsider, you know? Um, so that started earlier, but what that meant was the wrong crowds, the bad choices, the Mm. leaning into the anger. That's, that led to, I mean, the party life and addiction and skipping school and all of that Mm. substance abuse disorder started high school, early high school. Mm. Mm. You yeah. know, so those was, are those are the years where everybody is like, you know, trying so hard to find, you know, to make their mark anyway. And so like what right. you're describing, you know, you come in and it's like you've already got a, a deck stacked against you, you know, of saying that, mm-hmm. yeah, that you're that, again, that you're pretty much alone. There's there's nobody else like you, yes. you know, and so right. you almost have this reverse kind of thing. It sounds like like you know, instead of trying to, to set yourself apart, you're doing everything you can to merge. Um, is that, is that accurate or is that, I mean, yeah, I would say yes. We all want to be accepted, especially at that age, right? We're all just trying to find a way for our peers and for society to accept us as we are. And you know, who doesn't turn anyone away? (laughs) Right. People not living a straight life, you know? So, I mean, addiction was a, was a very, um, welcoming area. Um, partying all the time. It's a, it's a welcoming area. Mm. Nobody wants to suffer alone. So, Mm. so, so I think that that was an easy place to turn to. Yeah. Um, I think it's really interesting how, I mean, I figured it out later about how my identity played into that. Mm. Um, And I think it's interesting then that I couldn't see any of that. Like it was the lenses through which I was seeing, but I could not identify them. I could not pick them out. Mm. I didn't know what they were Mm. about. I was aware that my race impacted my experience, but I didn't Mm. understand how much. Yeah. Um, Actually, one of somebody I went to high school with recently, I was posting stuff about the movement and the black lives matter, black lives matter movement recently. And she, mm-hmm. she shared one of my posts and was like, I remember like when we were in high school and you, cause I was dating a white male. Um, mm-hmm. and I guess I pointed out to her that people looked at us differently. Like there was a, Mm. there's either questioning looks or looks of disgust or disapproval. And I don't remember this specifically, but she remembered it and it impacted her way of thinking when it came to race and how other people reacted to that in society. Yeah. Interesting. So you, you're forming this identity for yourself and in picking up lots of baggage in it, um, mm-hmm. yeah, in your high school years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and 
you know, then you, you finish with high school or maybe, and again, if I'm jumping too far ahead, you, you just let me know, but you're, you're finishing with high school. You're going to the next phase of your life. It, so you're looking at college. Are you, are you just carrying all of that right in? Or is there any kind of moments in there where you're like, this is a time for me to, cause now there's, I'm sure a larger group of people that are accessible to you, you know, similar people, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. I mean, what is, what does that look like? So high school, um, yeah, high school was a struggle. I showed up for, I mean, not very much in my last couple years. And, mm. um, there's a lens we share, by the way, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's an acquired lens. <laughs> yes, definitely an acquired lens. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I chose anyway, not to Go attend. <laughs> <laughs> I had other things to do. Right. Um, I, so I actually didn't finish on time. I went back for another year, but I was, ex- it was an expectation that I wasn't going to finish, but because people expect, I, I chose to go against everything that people expected of me at this point <laughs> in my life. Right. They're like, Oh, you're not going to finish. It, I'm like, Oh, I am going to finish actually. <laughs> so, this is where rebellion actually worked in your favor. Yeah. This, this, time. Yeah. At this one instance. <laughs> good. Yeah. Good. So I went back for an extra year and graduated in 2009. Um, I was interested in, college, but already not doing well enough to attend. So, um, that was when I really hit addiction hard. Mm. Um, so my substance abuse disorder really went off the rails at this point. Um, I struggled with addiction and I, I mean, I wasn't really picky on what I was doing. Um, for, let's see, I went to prison in 2014 so those because of your I mean, addiction yes yes yeah. all the yeah. substance abuse disorder related yeah. um okay i actually spent some time i entered the system early so juvenile i think i was like 16 or 17 the first time mm-hmm. i went to juvenile my mom put me on youth at risk i was very rebellious i was not listening mm. spent little time at home um And this turned into my introduction to the system. This continued into my mid-20s. I spent, I, I was sentenced to 20 months in prison and got out of WCCW or Purdy in Washington, the correction center. And on July 16th, 2015. Mm. And while I was while I was in there, I I didn't know if I was done living that life. I didn't know what to expect when I got out. I didn't know what other options mm. I had. Um, and actually somebody in there who was running a job skills class was it was like a required two credit class through Tacoma Community College that they offer inside. And it's just to work on your resume and help you, I don't know, maybe be employable when you get out, right? Okay. So I went to this and we were working on things and she brought in a list of people who hire felons. And I was like, oh, these are all like nine to five entry level jobs. And I was like, this isn't gonna keep me from doing what I was doing. 
getting out and working, like say at a fast food restaurant or something like this isn't, I know that this isn't going to keep me from going back. And so I talked yeah. to her about it, I expressed that to her. Like I need something to, I need to be able to see that my life is headed in some sort of direction, right? That's huge. Yeah, it was. And, to be able and to identify this that. class was yeah. not for that. Yeah. She was like, oh, okay. She said, <laughs> okay. And so she brought me the paperwork to fill out um, my FAFSA for financial aid and mm -hmm. the local community college application that, to where I was being released. Mm -hmm. And so she did this just on her own time. Um, and she helped me fill out those papers and turn them in before I was released and I had an individualized re-entry plan and I had no idea what that would mean for the future for me but I knew that um, that was a path that made sense to me for me to change. So, now just to step back just for a second yeah go ahead did you come out of prison clean? I did, yes. Okay, so yeah. so this was truly like, this was a, a like a clean slate time. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. Definitely was. I think that it would have been different without um, this woman's intervention. Hmm. I don't think that, I mean, I think that this, this reentry was a huge foundation for my success. Hmm. Um, and so I got and, out and I was already set up to start school and it took her and I got out okay. stepping outside of her, out of her, her role. role to make this happen. Yes. Like, like she yes. kind of was, yeah, she took, she took you on as a bit of a mission. Yeah. Wow. Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, um, I got out and I say June 16th, 2015 and June 16th, 2017, I graduated from Lower Columbia College mm -hmm. with highest honors, a member of the Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society, um, wow. a general transfer degree. Yeah, I, I went to school and I killed it. Yeah, <laughs> I had <serious>. no idea. <laughs> I was concerned about not fitting in in the higher education world, you know, like I thought mm -hmm. I wouldn't be welcomed. I thought my story, I, sh I should hide who I was. I thought my past would not be embraced. Um, mm. I thought that this would be an obstacle. And in fact, the first advisor that I met with um, at Lower Columbia College when I was deciding like what degree I wanted and stuff, I was, my passion lies in the justice system, right? I had mm. experience there. Um, I'd watched like criminal minds and I mean, if I could do life over, I would probably want to work for the CIA. But <laughs> <laughs> right, but, right. But like, I'd been interested in the justice system for most of my life. Those shows consumed me. And mm. um, so I went in and I was like, I, I think I want a degree in criminal justice. And mm. the feedback I got immediately was, oh, no, you'll have way <laughs> too many obstacles. Don't even try mm. it. Um, mm. you're going to have to pick something Media out. You'll back. never get a job. Yeah. Mm. You'll never, you'll never get a job in that area. And so I was really mad about that. You know, I was like, mm. okay, you know, I guess I'll choose something else. And I had no idea what else I might want to do. So I just got a general transfer, but mm. throughout the course of my education, I have shared my story with 
a ton of people and people have been nothing but excited and Mm. supportive. Um, People love a, people love that transformation. They love to be a Mm. part of that transformation. And um, yeah, that really, I mean, I have experience that a lot of other people can't apply to, I mean, schoolwork to Mm. um, employment. So I think that discounting that because of that experience is not fair. And as a society, we definitely need to do better in that area. Right. Right. So you, you set your mind to that and you start pursuing that. Mm -hmm. Um, And did you, did you find hurdles or, or or like you said, was it, I mean, was your story intriguing enough that it, it, you know, it, it kind of did away with those hurdles. Um, because you said like, you know, you were, you were dissuaded from going like full criminal justice and, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing, but you're, you're, you're still within the justice system. I mean, that's, that's the, you still wanted to find a track within that. So right. were there other hurdles that, that presented themselves, um, as you've gone along, um, that you've had to overcome, um, or, or has it, you know, have you, have you found that when you share your story, you know, that, that overcoming story, that rising out of, you know, whatever story that, 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 mm-hmm. that smooths a lot of, of paths? Um, I would say I've definitely been choosy about the things that I pursue because of my past and because I mean rejection hurts right it all it hurts all of us Mm -hmm. nobody wants to be rejected or judged off of things um I have I mean that is a part of my my identity it's a huge part of who I am now but Mm -hmm. I feel like when people just look at that they can't see me Mm -hmm. um so if I have to check the box yes I'm a felon before anybody meets me then Mm -hmm. I have yeah then I feel, I, yeah, I feel like so judged and like, you don't know anything about me, you know? So I have been right. very choosy about the things that I pursue because that still hurts. Mm-hmm. And, um, but when I have allowed myself to share, which is something that I'm still working on, it's really, it's hard to do all the time, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of shame and stigma that comes with that past, mm-hmm. which sucks because it is, um, it has done a lot to make me how strong I am. You know, it's, it's, it's a huge impact yeah. on yeah. my strength and my resilience and mm. the things that I bring to the table. But, um, there was one thing, one in particular. So I started school at WSU Vancouver and I saw, I think it was my first semester. I was in criminal justice 101 and I mm. was pursuing my bachelor's in public affairs with a concentration in justice. So I did get there eventually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, Yeah. (laughs) It just took my second round at education. Right. But, um, I, I was sitting in my criminal justice 101 class and somebody came in to present an internship at the Washington state legislature. Um, they presented like there it's, you go work for session, you're an intern, you work for Mm. either a Senator's office or a couple representatives offices for the entire session and it's I mean it's great um Mm. looks wonderful on a resume it's great Mm -hmm. experience you get to learn the how the government actually works and I was like wow that would be amazing yeah 
but there's no way they would let me work at the Capitol, right? <laughs> so I don't even think I'm allowed there. <laughs> that was my initial thought. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> so this went by, um, and then I was almost done with my degree. I had a year, I think it was the summer before my last year. So the summer prior to my senior year, mm. the internship presentation happened again in one of my classes. And I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. <laughs> So summer, I was just, I was leaving one of my summer classes and went to pop in and see if my new advisor was in the office. I sat down with her and I was like, this is the situation. I think this would be really cool. Um, I don't know if it's possible. And she was like, oh, let me email real quick. And so she did. And they were like, oh yeah, not a problem. Tell her to apply. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know I was. And then I went through all of the thoughts, like, how do I present this? Do I write an essay so they know before I go in for the interview? Do I wait until after they like me? And then I give, you know what I mean? Like, how do yeah, I yeah, present yeah. this in a yeah. productive manner? And so I decided to just write my email about or write my essay about um, all the things that I've overcome and the things that I've done since incarceration and my plans and goals and dreams and what this would mean to me and I was accepted and went to this internship and loved it fell in love You know, you say you wrote this essay and, you know, talking about everything you've overcome mm-hmm. and, you know, and how that's, you know, inspired your passions and, and vision and that sort of stuff. What are some of those things? So I am extremely passionate about uh, social justice. I mean, mm-hmm. to narrow that down, I usually focus on race, racial equ- equity and, mm-hmm. um, and definitely all of that within the justice system. Mm-hmm. I took at, at Lower Columbia College, I took a class called Race, Class, Sex, and Gender, which was focused on, it was an integrated studies course. It was 15 credits, three different instructors, three different. What a huge subject though. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> huge. Talk about covering <laughs> yes. all of the things. Yeah. Seriously. Well, they left religion out. I In think. a quarter. So, <laughs> it <yeah>. was wild. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot wow. of reading, a lot of writing. Um, it was a seminar. It was like a seminar-based class. So we did a Mm. lot of class discussions after our readings. And I don't think that my track would have been the same without that class. Oh, wow. It taught me a lot about myself. It taught Mm. me a lot about, it taught me a lot about the trauma that I had endured through. Like I, uh, we talked about all the inequalities within American history. We talked about, um, Mm. I mean, we talked about race from slavery to now, right? Slavery Mm -hmm. to mass incarceration. We talked about, uh, I mean, I can't even cover all the topics, but that one was the one that really changed everything for me. Okay. So, so you say like you're, you're raised in a predominantly white community. Mm -hmm. You're raised from predominantly white side of your family. Right. And 
and so you know not much attention being given to you also being black right um and and you go through a lot of life like this is it is a class like this are you are you like sitting here going through the the lectures and going through the reading material and that sort of thing and finding yourself all over in the place and like all discovering yourself in the process all over the place. Hmm. Yeah. So yes. And almost everything. I was like, wow. It's, it's like discovering like you've like, like you've been hidden from yourself. Yes. For, you know, for most of your life. And like, this is who I am. Definitely. And the lenses wow. that I was able to learn I had no idea other people went through this, right? I didn't mm. know because I grew up in this predominantly white area. I didn't talk to anybody else about these experiences, about um, not being accepted for the way that I look or, you know, there was nobody to sure. discuss these things with. So learning that everyone else who also lives in white society, of the white society of America is experiencing this due mm. to looking different or not fitting in with their peers because Mm -hmm. they are black. Like that, that was huge to me. That was huge to Mm. me because I felt so alone Mm. in that. And realizing that, I mean, there was, there were books written about this. There's, I mean, there was so much information, so many people, so much support Mm. in that, that it, it validated the anger, it validated the trauma, Mm. it validated the feeling of being an outcast, you know, like it, it, it made me, it made me feel less crazy. It made me less angry. Mm. Yeah. I was wondering that. Does it, does it flare everything up or does it actually, is it, is it a little bit like soothing almost (laughs) that it's, um, that's a, that's probably the worst word for that, but (laughs) is there an element of that at least where it's just kind of like, Oh my God, I get it now. I I would say both, (laughs) definitely both. Um, It is enraging that my people feel this way and Mm. that we continue to feel this way and that other people discount that feeling. Mm. Um, But it it was also comforting to me to know that I wasn't so alone. Yeah. It was comforting to find that out. But definitely... definitely enraging. (laughs) Yeah. So is there an element with you? Okay. And I, and I warned you, there may be some ignorant questions. This this could possibly be an ignorant question. Okay. Um, is there a, is there a part of this that your, your passions are maybe even a little bit more engaged because you, like you came, like all this came to light for you later in your life, as opposed to someone who, is raised with full knowledge of, you know, you're growing up in a black family being taught, you know, Hey, people aren't going to like you because of the the color of your skin. They're going to, they're going to say things to you that they shouldn't say, you just have to get tough to it. This is how, I mean, all those things that I'm hearing from the black community that they, that you have to train your young children from, from from the youngest of age, how to act around white people, how to act around police officers, how to, and you didn't get any of that. Right. So is there a part of it where it's like, like, because of, of how suddenly it came to you later in life, that it's like that, that, that almost like amps up your passion for 
spreading like spreading the word, getting this out there, make all that sort of thing or um, I don't, yeah, I don't know what the question is actually. <laughs> so I'm sitting there. I'm just kind of imagining this this thing where it's like, yeah, where I mean, it's it's just discovery for you as opposed to just the way of life of of you know a, a black peer that's grown up that way saying, well, yeah, that that's how life is, kind of thing. Right. Um, I would say that could have a lot to do with it. I wasn't completely ignorant to the way the world viewed black Mm. people. And I wasn't, I mean, I understood all of that. I mean, um, and I also wasn't silent about issues of race. Um, Mm. I was aware of them. I just didn't know how much it affected me. I Mm. knew that I didn't fit in anywhere because I am multiracial. I wasn't black enough to be black. I wasn't white enough to be white. I didn't fit in, in any group. Um, Mm. But I think that like realizing realizing the impact on everyone else um, mm-hmm. and being validated through education allowed me to understand at a deeper level and talk about it mm. in an educated way and I guess have those kind of conversations with myself in an educated way before it was just like anger. Right. Because Mm. it came with all that childhood trauma of who I had to be. And um, so I think that that is definitely a possibility that that has really flared that up for me. That would make sense. So how does, how does this passion manifest itself with you? Um, and you know, whether it's your work life or whether it's your, you know, what you spend your time thinking about on weekends or whether it's, you know, a rally you attend or whatever else, Mm -hmm. how does, how does this passion of yours manifest itself in your, in, in just your regular life? Well, I am definitely not one to shy away from the difficult conversations and I, I mean, it's it's exhausting in this time, but I do Mm. like to engage people who have different views than me. Um, I will, I definitely attend rallies. I um, stay involved in my community. Um, I like to organize. I like to donate. I mean, I'm involved in as many ways as possible, right? Yeah. Um, But that is also guided my passions, right? My passions with criminal, Mm. the criminal justice system. I think throughout school, I wrote almost all of my papers on like the war on drugs or, um, the death Mm. penalty disproportionately affecting, um, the black community, especially black Mm. men. Like I, I have spent all of my time and study on this subject, the disproportionality of black people within the criminal justice system. Um, So that has definitely guided my growth um, where I ended up. Right now I work with the Statewide Reentry Council. Um, I'm their new coordinator, which is fabulous. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, if they ever say you can't get a job, anyone listening who is formerly incarcerated, (laughs) if they ever tell you don't go into the criminal justice field or you can't get a job in government, do not listen. (laughs) Wow, yeah. Do not listen, follow your dreams. Put it to work. So is that an element that you 
are getting to work in in a similar way that that lady helped you? Yes. So. God. Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> I had a very unique reentry experience, and um, it was successful. Hmm. And so now I get to work with people who are trying to fix our reentry system and with their concern being public safety and successful reentry for incarcerated individuals. Mm. Um, so now I get to put that experience to work. I get to, I get to meet with people who are passionate about people coming from my background being successful in our world. Wow. Yeah. How long have you been at work in that in that role? So actually, it has been since June first. I got so I finished my internship at the legislature on March thirteenth at the end of session or March twelfth, mm. sunny day, and um, I worked really well with my offices, built some wonderful mm. relationships, and I found out this position opened up through one of my offices, they were like, look, you need to apply to this. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. yeah. They were like, this is this is right up your alley. Please apply. Yeah. So yeah. I, I did, and it worked out, and I'm so excited to be here and that's, doing that's what so I do. Cool. That's yeah. so cool. Really get to put all my passion to work. This may be a little bit of a touchy question. Um, when you're talking about, you know, a passion for justice and, and participating in, in, you know, protests and rallies and, mm -hmm. and things like that, and um, a lot of those are having to do with, you know, uh, uh, calling to light uh, issues with, you know, police violence and, and right. brutality and, and that sort of thing, um, very specifically within the black community. I, I don't know why I just like explained all that. Like nobody knows what's going on. Right now. I, I don't think there's anybody that doesn't understand that's what's going on right now. Okay. So I mean, I, I the hope actual... they understand. There are some people <laughs> right. out there that do not understand. Yes. Well, okay. Understand was the wrong word. I've heard of. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, the question is, is, do you, is there, is there a rub at all sometimes with the, with the intersection of, of like your, your role now of actually being in the inner workings of government mm -hmm. and also saying, you know, as a, you know, as a person of color yourself, you are affected by these problems also. And so you're going to speak out against them. Is that, do you ever have to be like careful with that? It, and, even, and one more thing, too, with you being a for, formerly incarcerated person, mm -hmm. do you have to be careful with how you speak out or um, or what you participate in? Um, fortunately, I get to work with people who are extremely aware. Mm. Um, so I don't think that, like, my past is not a secret. Uh, my experience mm. is embraced and actually encouraged in discussions. <laughs> um, hmm. I, there hasn't been a rub. I think everybody is very, I mean, everyone that I've encountered has been very aware and, um, 
they find systemic racism as an issue that needs to be addressed. Um, mm. There is no question about that. Mm. Um, so I don't think that I, I haven't run into that in yeah. my position, okay. which is, yeah. which is a blessing. Yeah. Like, it's a blessing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I have not run into that at all. I, I kind of give you a, a bit of a heads up that I, I have these questions. I like to ask all of my guests. Um, and in particular, because I, I make it a point only to have guests that have different lenses than I do. Right. So um, <laughs> that, you know, I had a, actually had a friend who was like, he was like, hey, I'll, I'd be a guest on your podcast. I'm like, sorry, you're too much like me. <laughs> you know? I'm like, that's, that's the whole point of this is that, I, you know, we're, we're trying to expand our vision here. Right. Um, and so one of the questions that I like to ask is, you know, how have those with my lenses made life difficult for you? Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like just expressed throughout my story, um, the expectations built on false narratives fed to us by society, correct? Like who I was yeah. supposed to be as a person of color or a black person who I was supposed to be was only built off of people's expectations through built through the media through whatever biased beliefs that they held um so there's one two these systems were not built by people who look like me they were not built for Mm. people who look Mm. like me yeah and the same goes for incarceration i mean the 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 system of incarceration was built not by us but for us right Mm. Um, mm. that these, these are, these are hard pills. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But it's so, it's so necessary to understand that because it's not, that is not taught anywhere. Um, no. publicly I should say. Yeah. It's actually not even accepted yeah. when you do discuss it. Right. Yeah. Because of the things that we're fed, we're fed stereotypes, we're fed all these expectations. And by we, I mean all of us. Mm-hmm. We're all fed these stereotypes. Right. Um right. I was also fed these stereotypes. Like the things mm. that I was able to look up to or the, the people that I looked up to were people who looked like me in movies, right? Or in the media, mm. which is not a good thing to look at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like these are the way we learn, or these are the ways that we learn. So right. um, yeah. I would also say that the difficult conversations um, need to be had by people who look like you, right? Mm. So that's one thing that um, I think is important. That's a way that, that's a barrier. Nobody who looks like you introduced me to race in a positive way. I never read um, authors of color. I never learned Mm. anything substantive about people of color throughout education. I didn't learn the truth about American history. I didn't, you know, so these barriers started as early as I can remember. Yeah. So, I mean, how, how far, how far can we go? Race touches literally every part of our lives. Right. And your systems don't include that. Mm. They weren't built by us. Yeah. And and then we don't even like we're we're ignorant of our own systems too. Right. 
because, you know, again, by and large, we don't find ourselves just randomly in them. Right. And, you know? and how can you see through a lens you can't see, through, you don't have, you know, you, yeah. you can't see that there's a huge gap because there's not a huge gap for you. Yeah. You're included in everything. Yeah. Which is, which is why it's becoming absolutely fundamentally important if we want to make any forward progress in this country as a community, you know, as a together, um, that we, we have to become intentional about our education. Definitely. Um, because it's, it's not just, it's not just being spoon fed to us. It's not, you know, like, like the great accomplishments are. Right. right. So, I mean, we, our history books are full of all the wonderful things that right. white people accomplished. Right. The, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, sprinkle in a, a few black people so that, you know, we can, you know, get those marks. You right. Know? <laughs> just, so, just a few. Yeah. Yeah. We have so, a month set I mean, aside for that. Don't worry too yeah, much about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And you right. invented peanut butter. So, you know, I mean, we're. Yeah. So congratulations. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There. Now let's get back to the other things. Right. Let's right. get back to the important stuff. You know, what, it, what, was, what would be the one thing that, uh, that you wish those with my lenses would understand? Like, if you were just like, God, if we just got this, it, things would start to turn around. Um, that anti-racism is not a destination. It is a journey. <laughs> you cannot arrive at being anti-racist. You have to engage in that learning process forever. <laughs> That's... Mm. Um, listening to people of color when something is offensive please don't get defensive just learn from it mm. um take that take what you learn engage in those conversations and don't leave all of that up to people of color it's exhausting work mm. and it's traumatizing work but we need yeah. allies to help do that work mm. um so I think that that is the most important lesson for allies, for me, is to yeah. understand that anti-racism is not a destination. It's a, it's an ongoing journey. And to please yeah. keep showing up. Yeah. I, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had recently with people. And I mean, even just my wife and I talking about it, mm -hmm. how it's like, this is, this is tiring. It's so is exhausting. exhausting. And then... Yeah, but we can choose to take a break. Yes. You know, I can I can decide I don't want to read that book today. Yeah. I can decide I don't want to watch that show today. I can decide I don't want to go to the rally this weekend. Right. Um I'm going to I'm going to do yard work and drink lemonade instead, you know. And I, I saw like, this I saw a post actually on Facebook that was really interesting to me. Um, it was a woman, the wife of a police officer who mm. posted that her husband came home, not wearing his uniform because he had to go grocery shopping or something. And she was like, honey, yeah. what, why aren't you wearing your uniform? And he said that he didn't want to go out in public like that, you know, with everything that's going on. He, mm. he was worried about wearing that out in public. 
And she was like, no, she, in her post, she was like, nobody should have to feel this way. You know what I mean? Like scared because of the way society views you because of the uniform you're wearing. And somebody commented underneath like, wow, that's terrible. Imagine if that was his skin. <laughs> right. Right. Imagine, imagine if I was like, if you can't understand that. Yeah. Like that's what black people are trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Can you just for a, a moment, because I, I know there are a lot of people who still don't understand what it means to be anti-racist. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just talk briefly to that? I mean, just mm-hmm. something that's, that's like, it, it's this simple. Right. So it's, it's not enough to, to be aware of your bias and not try to play into the system, right? It's not enough to catch your biases and, and like just be aware of them and try to ignore, ignore the impact. Um, you have to call out racism when you see it, any microaggressions. Mm-hmm. Like if you use your card at, in the grocery store and you get no ID check, but the person, the person of color behind you also uses their card and they ask for an ID. Like if, I mean, there's so many things that you just intervene be like, well, well, you didn't ask for my ID. Why are you asking? There's a respectful way to go about it. There's just always intervene. If you see something, say something. Um, Yeah. That's, that's taking an an active role in pointing out microaggressions. Yes. That's Um, important. And learning, constantly learning, listening and employing that race equity lens to all your work, hiring practices. I mean, we need everybody to participate in this if we're going to dismantle the the system that's been built, right? The system that is dependent on our racial categorization. Um, Any way that you can participate in that in whatever place you hold power, that is anti-racist work. If you see somebody making judgments off of like a name in hiring practice or um, housing discrimination or any sort of area that you can touch, employ that race equity lens. Hmm. So that that's perfectly goes along with the, this last question that I have. Um, How can those with my lenses be appropriate allies and advocates for you? Um, And I, and I say appropriate because you know, I'm very aware, becoming more and more aware of white saviorism. And, mm-hmm. you know, like I was, I was talking with a friend today and, you know, how this, this should be, if we're, I'm not answering the question for you, even though it's going to sound <laughs> like I am. <laughs> um, but I say it probably because it's like, you know, recognizing that there are, we don't need black leaders. There are black leaders. The problem is, is that most often when a black leader gets on the stage, there's a white person to run up there and grab the mic away from him and say, hey, everybody, you need to listen to this person. And you need to listen to them because they're saying, and then they just go on and take over the right. conversation. <laughs> right. Right? And so that's not an appropriate ally or advocate. So how how in your mind um, can can we be appropriate allies and advocates? I think that it is important to use your privilege to amplify voices of color. I think black voices have a ton to say, right? We have a ton to say on this topic. We have 
um, a lot of passion behind it. Um, but the problem is that people are occupying spaces and like you said, taking the mic, right? Um, yeah. Cause our privilege so allows us that, to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. You have these positions that allow you yeah. to hold the mic right. and talk about these things, but um, allowing and asking for, or making space for black voices and amplifying black voices, um, participating in, I mean, we just had blackout, right? We had yeah. blackout day. Um, participating in things like those, uh, being conscious about where you spend your money. Um, mm. That's that's huge, right? Yeah. Being conscious about the things that you're supporting through your dollars. Yeah. Um, I think that is a wonderful thing that allies can do. Mm. And continue to show up. Just continue to show up. Yeah. Yeah, that's the second time you've said that, and I and I think mm -hmm. it's appropriate that that it keeps being said over and over again because we mm -hmm. forget so quickly. Yeah, we just wear out because you know because it's it, exhausting. Yeah, it is exhausting. We, I mean, I completely understand that it is exhausting work, but for people to, I mean, if this, we can't let this movement's momentum die. Yeah, we can't. Yeah. Can't afford it. No. And none of us can. No. The, I mean, white communities are suffering in completely different ways, mm -hmm. but are suffering also because of the systemic racism that has been run rampant in our, in our black communities. And I, I think it's much more of a suffering of our souls. Like we've, like we've, we've sold our souls, right. you know? And so there's a, it's like a deep, you know, uh, almost like moral kind of suffering that we, we don't even recognize is like this, this blackness that, Oh, I shouldn't have said blackness. God, <laughs> that's this, uh, darkness, this, this hole, you know, right. that, that exists because we, we haven't been a part of, of, um, of being communities of saying that, Hey, we are all one in this. And if one of us suffers, we all suffer. We don't see it that way. Right. Um, yeah, man, not at all. I want to edit out that so bad. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave that up to you. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the thing. I, I think I can, I, I think I, I have to leave in like the fuck ups too. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. because there's a point to it. It's like, you know, trying to say something good. And I'm like, Oh, that was, you know, I butchered it. That's it. It's, we have to be thinking through everything. Yeah, we do. Because the things that we're taught, we do, we have to continue. And that's anti-racist work, right? Be yeah. aware that right. awareness, call yourself out. I mean, everyone is going to make mistakes. I don't expect yeah. anyone to be perfect. Everyone's going to slip up. Um, but that's yeah. fine. Continue the work. Like there's yeah. no destination. You won't get there. No. <laughs> right. It's an right. ongoing journey. So. Right. One, it's always too, you know, again, talking with a, a friend and, and saying that, you know, even, even this podcast, I mean, I, I, I wrestle every time I come to this point of, you know, being, you know, appropriate allies and advocates and, and 
you know, and just what you said is a, is a regular thing that, that people are saying. And it's so true that, you know, amplify others' voices, you yeah. know, and I'm like, in a, and I run a podcast where I talk a lot. <laughs> so I'm, I'm constantly like, I, like I'm wrestling with that. I understand, I know that there's a, that there's conflict that exists there, you know, um, it, but there's also this thing too. It's like the the point is is to be able to to get a glimpse through your lenses, right? But they will never be my lenses, right? Like I can I can never own those lenses. Um, that's called appropriation. When I try to, <laughs> right? Um, that that the, the entire point is to to be able to see, knowing that what I see is still not the full picture, right? And that there will all that there will always be more. Um, and, and that's why I, I so appreciate your willingness to, to come and, and talk because I know it's exhausting for you. You know, I, I know it's like, this is like, this is your good work to the white community who, <laughs> who hasn't earned the favor of that, you know? And I, and I just so, I just so appreciate it. I so appreciate you being willing to just come and have a conversation about all this. I think it is very important for all of us to share um, for the purpose of understanding, right? There are huge divides in our communities and yeah. people don't understand each other. Um, yeah. I get judged off of things that people don't understand and won't understand. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. sharing, I think, is important and owning things is important. And I'm still working on that with my past, but I, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the opportunity to share and your willingness to listen. Hmm. Well, I am, your, your story is amazing. Um, I, I mean, it's just, it, it's absolutely amazing. And, and I know it's very much still in process. And so it'll be awesome to, to just kind of, you know, keep paying attention to where you go from here and, and what your work, you know, all, all entails over the years and all of that. Um, but <laughs> yeah, just, Casey, we'll have to check back yeah. in. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that'd be a good thing. Yeah. Um, but again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was great. Right on. <laughs> all right. We'll see you, everybody. Thank you.